Good morning. If you will join me now in the hearing of God's Word, please turn in your scriptures to John chapter 21, verses 18 through 22, the very last chapter of John, John 21, verses 18 through 22. Here at this time now, the Word of the Lord. Jesus said to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and to walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Let's now go before the Lord and ask his blessing together. Lord Jesus, we do indeed pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing of this word, that you would shape our lives and mold us more and more into your image through the power of your scripture By the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Peter is my favorite disciple. Now, I realize when I say that, that I'm not saying anything incredibly earth-shattering. Peter is almost everybody's favorite disciple. That's like saying that you like chocolate. Everybody likes chocolate. Peter's my favorite disciple, though, probably for many of the reasons that he is the favorite disciple for most people. Peter is brash. He is bold, he speaks without thinking, he's very often clueless, he makes tremendous mistakes, he makes tremendous affirmations of faith. Peter is encouraging to me so much because he's exactly that kind of disciple that I find myself being so much of the time. Both incredibly wrong, incredibly mistaken in the ways of the Lord, and yet at the same time, surprisingly faithful at different points. One of the great faithful moments for me is in the passage that was read earlier for us. For whatever reason, Jesus sends the disciples off onto the boat to cross the Sea of Galilee by himself while he remains behind with the crowd and then to spend some time with prayer. The disciples get out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and the sea gets rough. Now, it is known that the Sea of Galilee is not an overly large lake, but it is Uh, susceptible to very violent and sudden windstorms and uh, other tragedies have happened on the Sea of Galilee because of these types of sudden windstorms. So the disciples are out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and they are being buffeted by the waves, by the wind. Uh, And so my guess is that they're already on edge. They're quite terrified or somewhat scared at least. Uh, Many of these men, remember, are not fishermen. The fishermen might be used to the uh, ways in which the Sea of Galilee reacts, but the other disciples certainly would not have been. So here they are, already a little on edge with the wind that is buffeting them, and suddenly what do they see? They see Jesus walking on the water coming toward them. Now, for a variety of reasons, they immediately jump to the thought that he is a ghost. Well, clearly, we're not used to humans walking on the water, and here is the form of Jesus walking on the water. So they immediately begin to think that he is a ghost, and they are terrified. They are utterly terrified. And Jesus, as he does so often in our 
uh, fear so often in, in our uh, terror, he says specifically and directly to the disciples, do not be afraid, it is I. How does he calm them? By announcing his own presence to the disciples. And Peter, in a tremendous act of faith that I just am bowled over by, uh, the, how faithful he is in this instance, Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to get out of the boat and come to you. And Jesus says, come. So Peter then gets out of the boat. Now remember, Peter has been, he knows the Sea of Galilee. He knows what it is like. And yet Peter steps out of the boat and starts walking towards Jesus on the water, walking on the water just as Jesus is doing as he is walking towards Jesus. And it is an awe-inspiring moment of Peter's faith here and trust in Jesus. And then the text says, when Peter saw the wind... Now, how do you see the wind? You don't see the wind. That's just air moving. What you see is the effect of the wind. What's the effect of the wind that Peter sees as he's walking toward Jesus? Well, I think it's clear. He sees the waves, the rough waves as the wind is kicking up and, and, and blowing the waves all over the place. Here, then, Peter looks and sees these big waves coming out. And he begins to sink. He cries out in fear. And, of course, immediately Jesus reaches out and catches him. But what happens? What's the transition between Peter walking on water and Peter sinking into the water? It's because he sees the wind. Peter can only see the wind, the effect of the wind, by taking his eyes off Jesus and looking instead at the water. While he's looking at Jesus... He is walking on the water. He is exercising tremendous faith and confidence. And as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus and looks and sees the billowing waves, immediately he begins to sink. Immediately his faith begins to fail him. Well, Peter has a chance to learn exactly this same lesson in our text today. Let's go ahead and take a look at that again. If you have your Bibles and if you open up, that passage begins in verse 18. Now, this happens, of course, after Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection again. He has met with the disciples. He's actually back at Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, with the disciples. And he is speaking with them. And he says to Peter these words, Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, when uh, the number of times throughout the scriptures where that formula is used, truly, truly, I say to you, this is... Jesus emphasizing, stressing what he's about to say. Everything that the king says is worth listening to. Everything that the king says is, should have great bearing upon our lives. But for some reason, Jesus here takes this statement that he's about to say and stresses it for Peter and ultimately for us. Now, if you're just bringing, coming along here, if you weren't here last week, when we looked at the previous verses, or if you didn't read the previous verses, I encourage you to do so. Because in those verses, Jesus reinstates Peter into his fellowship and then also challenges him to have the courage to accept being accepted by God. The embrace of the gospel, that Peter would be a, God, a man after God's own heart here, following after him. And here we get to this stressed statement. What is the statement that Jesus really emphasizes to him at the end of verse 18? When you were young, you used to dress you when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands 
and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now this is, on first reading for me, this is classic Jesus speaking. Okay, I understand all the words, but it's really hard to put it together. What exactly is Jesus saying? Well, luckily... The author here, John, helps us out in the very next sentence in parentheses. He says, this Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. So the verse that Jesus says here, this parable almost, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, but when you're older, somebody's going to dress you. Uh, This is to identify the death that Peter was to have and to glorify God with. Now... It's clear kind of what Jesus is saying in this statement. Look, when you were younger, you used to have responsibility and control over your own life. You decided when you were doing and where you were going and stuff like that. But now that you are older, or as you get older, at some point in the future, you are going to discover that somebody else is directing and leading you. And in particular, this is an indication of the death that Peter is to have that will glorify God. Now, we don't have Peter's death recorded in Scripture, but there is plenty of church evidence, church history, that will tell us exactly the nature of Peter's death. About 30 years after these events, the Emperor Nero, the primary, the first emperor to lead a persecution of the church, to lead a persecution of the Christians, He gathered up as many Christians as he could find and executed them. The Apostle Paul, who we know so well from the scriptures, was beheaded under Nero. And at the same time, Peter, along with his wife, fled Rome with lots of different Christians because of the persecution of Nero. And yet on the way, he had a vision of Jesus or an indication or somehow God spoke to him and said, Peter, don't, how can you leave my flock? How can you leave my people? And Peter returned with his wife to Rome, and while he was there, he was arrested. His wife ultimately was executed, and Peter himself was chained to a pillar in a dungeon, in a completely darkened dungeon. He was chained upright in a pillar for nine months, unable to ever lay down. He was chained in that position for nine months until he was finally let out. And executed. The nature of his execution, his hands were stretched out. When the text says that, that is code language at that time period for crucifixion. Jesus here is telling Peter, there will come a time when you are older, when your arms will be stretched out. That is, when you will be crucified. As Peter is being led to his crucifixion, he is unwilling to be crucified in the same way. He's unwilling to bear the same death of his Lord because he realizes he is so unworthy of that very same death. And so he asks, and his petition is granted, that he is executed, that he is crucified upside down. And so Peter was crucified, arms stretched out, and he was crucified upside down. The fulfillment of this prediction or this prophecy that Jesus makes in verse 18 Peter, when you were young, you used to do things what you wanted. When you were old, you will stretch out your hands. You will be crucified upside down for me. And if you then take a look at the very next verse, verse 18, uh, verse 19, this again reinforces that statement when the author says, and he said this to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. I just want to make a 
a quick side statement about this because it's very clear that John is linking and Jesus is linking Peter's death with God's glory. Now, I think most of us, and certainly I feel this way, that I glorify God best and I sense the glory of God the most whenever positive, good things are happening in my life. When, when, something, when, I, when I do something faithful, when something positive occurs, that's easy for me then to say, aha, here it is, God is being glorified uh, because something good has taken place. Peter's death. And the manner of that death, the brutality of being crucified and then having that happen upside down, it's hard to imagine that this is a death that is glorifying to God. And yet, that is exactly what this text says. That even in the horrid things of life, even with the difficulties of staying at home, the difficulties of not being in relationship, the difficulties of not being able, of having to do things through Zoom or online or something like that, the difficulties of having an economy that is collapsing around us, loved ones who are suffering and who are sick, in the midst of all of those difficulties, even at that spot, this text gives us an indication that even here, God is glorified. But I want to think one more step on this instance. Imagine Peter here. Being told that at some point, his death is going to glorify God. What, what could you deal with? What, what sufferings could you put up with? What difficulties could you, could you not plow through if you knew at the end that God was going to be glorified through them? Isn't it true that the stay-at-home order being caught in the house with the kids and the family and all that, all that that entails, not being able to go to work, not being able to socialize with your friends, not all of those difficulties that we are presently experiencing. Can you imagine if in February God would have come to you and said, okay, you're about to enter on a period, three, four-month period, where you're going to have a very limited interactions with everybody, where life is going to be very difficult, but through that you will glorify me. Who wouldn't, with joy, with with glad hearts, say, bring it on. If it glorifies my Lord, then I want to be there. I want to do that. Peter, for three decades, 30 years, anticipating at some point, yes, I've got crucifixion, the horrors of crucifixion that are coming in my life, but I will glorify God in that death. You will, and this is exactly what we know about the Scriptures. The Scriptures affirm the sovereignty of God. The Scriptures affirm that God is in charge of all things. That there is not a moment of your life that our Lord is not overseeing and sovereign over. And because of that, He will be glorified. That's the thing that holds us together. That's the thing that moves us from one day to the next. The very same assurance that Peter here got. That yes, ahead of you is something horrific, but you will glorify God in this. And I'm telling you, God has spoken to you in February. He's spoken to you last year. He's spoken to you right now when you read the Scriptures. And He says, in your life, in the sufferings of your life right now, you will glorify God. What could be more inspiring, encouraging, motivating to lead us through the difficult times that are ahead for us.
After Peter is told that by his death he will glorify God in this horrific death, but nevertheless it will be a glory to the Lord, then Jesus turns to Peter and says to Peter, follow me. Now when he says follow me, there's a possibility that he wants to take Peter for a short walk along the sand and communicate more things to him or something like that. But rather in the nature, in the context of the Gospels, that statement, follow me, is characteristic of how Jesus reaffirms over and over to his disciples that they are called by God to follow Jesus. What it means to be a disciple. It means to follow Jesus. So it's not just Jesus taking Peter aside. It's reaffirming to Peter, you are to follow me. Peter used that same language when he called Philip when he called Matthew, when he called the unnamed disciple, when he called James and John, when he called all the disciples, the call to follow Jesus is the call. Now, I want you to note a couple of things. Jesus is not saying here, follow my teaching. Does he want his teaching followed? Of course he does. He's emphasized that at other spots. But the call to discipleship, the call to be Jesus' man or woman, is a call to follow me, not follow my teaching, not follow my example, not follow my desires or my heart. It is follow me. Jesus holds forward not the things that he holds about himself, certain aspects about himself that he holds forward. He holds himself forward and says, what is discipleship? What does it mean to be my child? It means to follow me. We could spend all kinds of time looking exactly what that means, that Jesus calls us to not to abide by a certain set of teachings, not to follow a certain pattern of lifestyle. He calls us to the person, Jesus Christ. That's the core question for you of your own life. Are you following not the Christian teachings? Are you following not the Christian example? But are you following Christ himself? Are you following the man, Jesus Christ? Well, while they're walking together, Peter now in verse 20, turns and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is uh, John, who we've met previously. He turns and sees John, and he says to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Now, why does Peter do that? The scriptures do not tell us. They don't write for us a motive on Peter. It could be that Peter is jealous. Here is John, the disciple that Jesus loves, and Peter has just gotten this terrible news about his own upcoming death, and he, and he wants to say, well, what about him over there? Maybe this is Peter just uh, curious. He's naturally curious. He's just been given a window into the future. How rare is it for us? to ever be given a window into our future. Here Peter is told how he is going to die, and it's a natural curious thing for him to say, well, hey, what about this guy over here? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe this is Peter simply wanting to spread out the pain of his own suffering, his own coming suffering, and he thinks, wow, if I'm going to suffer and die, tell me how everybody else is going to suffer and die so it feels a little not so bad for me. All of those things are possible. We're simply not told why it is that he does this. But notice again the, the phrase. Peter, walking with Jesus, turns and sees 
the disciple Jesus loved. He turns and sees Jesus. He is following Jesus. Jesus just made that command. He says to Peter, follow me. Peter is faithfully following after Jesus. By the way, notice what Jesus entails when he says here to Peter, follow me. Right after talking about his crucifixion, Peter, Jesus then says to Peter, by the way, following me, doing what I was crucified, you will be crucified. Follow me. And not only that, but Jesus glorifies the Father in everything he does, including in his crucifixion and in every other aspect of his life. And he's encouraging Peter here, follow me. You too, follow in, in my crucifixion, but in my glorifying of the Father. You too, follow me. But Peter turns and sees John. Now, I don't know the motive. Like I was saying, I don't know why he's interested in John. And it might be for all terrible reasons. Uh, this might be another example of Peter just falling off the bandwagon here. But I think that the key point is that when you're following Jesus, your eyes are on Jesus. How does he see John? He turns and looks to him. By turning and seeing John, he has taken his eyes off Jesus. I think, and, and Jesus here rebukes him, and appropriately so, says to him in a few minutes, Hey, that's none of your business. And he's right to say that. But he says that in part here because he's... But the, the, the fault of Peter, in my opinion, is not the fact that he's wondering about John. It's that he has turned his eyes away from Jesus. Because to follow Jesus, and that's why Jesus then reiterates and says, it's none of your business what happens to John, but you follow me. In the Greek, that's stressed. It's you follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to lock your eyes on Him. To, you cannot follow Jesus if your eyes are not locked on Him. You cannot follow if you are not looking at the one that you are following. And here we, we are told, Peter has said, you follow me. Don't look around to other people. Don't look around at what else is happening. Fix your eyes on me. What does it mean to be a disciple of our Lord Jesus during times like this? It means above all else to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Because if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you will talk about Jesus. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, you will care about Jesus. If you fix your eyes upon Jesus, you will do as Jesus does. That's exactly what it means to have our concern and our hearts and our minds wrapped around Jesus Christ because we are following Him. In the midst of the difficulties and the struggles in which we all are going through, how different would it be for you if you were looking at Jesus so explicitly? Because when you look at something, you talk about it. When you look at something, you think about it. When you look at something, you're concerned for it. In the midst of the difficulties that are going on here, if we look at our family, then we'll be concerned about our family. Now, of course we should be concerned about our families, but if we look at our job, if we look at our friendships, if we look at the difficulties of social networking, if we, do all, if we take our eyes off of Jesus, 
We will become concerned about all those other things without first and foremost focusing upon our Lord. Are you looking at Jesus? You can tell if you are or not. Because when you're confronted by everything, when you're confronted by the difficulties, the economy and chaos, uh, people getting sick, you know, are your eyes focused? Are you thinking of all of those issues? Are you thinking of your family? Are you thinking of the concerns of this world through the lens of first and foremost looking at Jesus? Or like Peter, are you being distracted by the waves? Or like Peter, are you turning and looking at other things? We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Have you ever walked in the snow? Like, picture a knee-deep snow or waist-deep snow or something like that. And you're following after somebody. You have to keep your eyes on them. But the other thing is, it's automatic that you put your feet, your footsteps, in the footsteps of the guy who's gone before you. If somebody's walking in front of you and they're plowing away through the snow, you follow afterwards by sticking your feet exactly in the same spot that that person has done. To follow Jesus is to walk in the way of Jesus. How would Jesus be responding to the coronavirus? How would Jesus be responding to the difficulties of our society here today and the struggles in which we have? That is what it means for us to follow Jesus, to put our footsteps where Jesus walks. And finally, so we keep our eyes on Jesus, we walk in the way of Jesus, and finally we realize that if we're following Jesus, that we are in His presence. And that we are experiencing the comfort and the grace and the love of Jesus. Never are we separated from Him. We constantly hear that same word, that same call of love that He has passed to the disciples over and over again. Do not be afraid. How do you know if you're faithfully following the Lord in these times? Are your eyes upon Jesus? Are you following in the way of Jesus? And are you experiencing, are you giving yourself over to the comfort that He gives? If you follow the Lord, you are with the Lord. He is present there before us. Let's go every day in the faithfulness That by following the Lord, we are fixing our eyes upon Him, we are walking in His way, and we are experiencing the comfort of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, now and forever. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we ask for your great blessing once again, as we have heard your word, and as I have thought through your word here for us together. So I would pray for each person that hears this now, that you would take the things that I have said, but primarily that you would take your word and you you would ground it deeply and passionately in their hearts so that they might know of your love and grace now and forevermore. Amen.